welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. Kyla and I are from the Institute for African American Mentoring in Computing Sciences, or IMCS. IMCS serves as a national resource for computing students, faculty, and industry professionals. We're funded by the National Science Foundation. Our goals are to increase the number of African Americans receiving doctoral degrees in the computing sciences, to promote and engage students in teaching and training opportunities, and to add more diverse researchers into the advanced technology workforce. This podcast is funded by the National Center for Women in Information Technology. NCWIT is a nonprofit that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the participation of all women in the field of computing. Today we have with us a special guest. Super special guest. Nancy DeYoung. She is a go-getter, line stepper, change maker. She is the Missy Elliott of technology. (laughs) Nancy is a human factors researcher, designer, and she's here to share something extra special with us today. So hey, Nancy. Hey, boo Hey. We're very happy you're here with us all the way from the West Coast. Thank you. The Silicon Valley, as they call it. Yes. Thank you for making it all the way out here. Yeah. Thank you. So we want to start off by asking you about your childhood and what it was like for you growing up. So uh, I had a really, really fun, I guess, childhood. It wasn't the American experience that some people might uh, think of. My mm-hmm. parents are from Haiti. They came to the States and raised us as Haitians in America. Uh, Mm. So we lived in a bit of a Haitian commune. Haitians tend to stick together. (laughs) Where was this? This was actually in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, So there are a a lot of Haitians in Boston. They tend to be located in New York, Boston, and uh, Florida, Miami (laughs) area. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, you know, what's what's great about living amongst a bunch of Haitians is you're not strange to the Haitians you're living with when you're, (laughs) you know, bathing with buckets of water or, you know, you have a front yard full of tomatoes in the major (laughs) middle of a major city, (laughs) you know. Hmm. Yeah. We had tomatoes (laughs) like a lot in my backyard. Well, my father carried salt in his pocket just to pluck them and eat them in the front yard. So this is. Ooh. In a major city, so we also weren't the coolest family on the block. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It sounds great to me. <laughs> a field full of tomatoes. You know how I feel about tomatoes. I love tomatoes, actually. but someone is allergic to them on this side of the table. I'm not allergic. I just can't stand them. Whatever. <laughs> right. like Wait a second. Death. So I'm you actually to apples? Oh, okay. I don't like tomatoes. I thought you just claimed an allergy to them. Mm-mm. Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I will say that. Um, Growing up here, because my parents are also farmers, they come from a farming community, they kind of kept that agriculture sense in Boston, which, you know, in my youth was fine up until I got to school, Mm -hmm. where I realized it wasn't normal. Um, They were just ahead of their time. Urban gardening is a huge thing, right? I was around when green wasn't cool, (laughs) you know? So, but yeah, so uh, in their limited education, they they believed that uh, they could impart wisdom on their children by giving them very heavy books. Uh, They thought the harder the cover, the smarter I would be, the dustier the book, the smarter I would be. 
uh, the bigger the book, right? And so, <laughs> technically speaking, it worked. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I learned tons from all the old encyclopedias that I had and um, reading the Bible over and over Ooh, again. That was a joy. Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica set. For those of you exactly. who don't know, before the internet existed, the <laughs> there yes. was this thing called the Encyclopedia. Yes. And you would look up the things you needed. Everything was in there, but they were some gigantic books. Yeah. yeah. So those were books I read for fun. They had like encyclopedia <laughs> salespeople. Like, imagine that now. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they, they would, would come, come to your like door. door, to door. Like, hey, do you need some information? It's like somebody oh. trying to sell you the internet. They're trying to sell you Google. Like, hey, here's Jehovah's Witness for knowledge. You <laughs> 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 saw them coming. Yeah. I hear it. That's true. So, Nancy, it sounds like you've always been pretty inquisitive. Yeah, I was pretty annoying as a kid. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was. I I learned wittiness could get me very very far. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother said to me one day, like one of the worst things I said to her, but she knew how I played this game. Where, <laughs> you know, I would say things that if she repeated to somebody else wouldn't get me in trouble. So she would say it <laughs> angrily. So an example would be, I turned to my mother and I said, "What are you teaching us girls?" And you know, can you met right <laughs> pop you in the face, right? <laughs> but you know, if she went and called my aunt and she's like, Can you believe she asked us what she's teaching us girls? Mm. It's like you couldn't really yeah. say nothing. So I was yeah. a really, really, really witty kid. Um, but there was a lot of things I also did not know and my parents could not help me with because I was living in inner city Boston in this Haitian community where no one spoke English. In fact, mm. I didn't speak English till I was eight years old. Wow. Right. And so, which is weird if you grew up in America, but I was literally, I mean, I learned more Spanish than English in some cases. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, I remember, uh, for example, uh, I had read the Bible and had read about uh, this amazing Mary woman and who was a virgin. I looked up in a dictionary something about virgin, which had something to do with sex, which had something to do with copulation, which had something to do with intercourse, which meant sex. So I'm like, all right, I don't know what this is, but apparently the dictionary is even hiding the definition of this, <laughs> right? So you can imagine when I'm, you know, eight years old asking my dad, what does it take for me to, to be a virgin like Mary? And he's like, oh, my God, call, talk to your mom. <laughs> she has all the answers. And my mother just frustrated, saying, get out of my face. You see me working out here. You're going to bother me, right? Uh, so I spent a lot of time asking questions that people found annoying. And I didn't know why it was so annoying to everyone that I had questions about all these things. In fact, I thought everyone was crazy because they didn't want to know why things happened. They just wanted to be fed knowledge and follow a system. Most people don't ask questions. They just kind of accept things as they are. Ignorance is what they call it. You can't be a change maker if you don't understand things and identify spaces where you can create change right well thank thank god i learned very early on i mean my first grade teacher told me there was no such thing as a stupid question Mm -hmm. and i took that literally (laughs) and so i spent my career and my life really um asking these questions and hearing the majority of people push back on me Mm -hmm. and saying to myself well i'm not wrong because there's nothing wrong with my questions so there must be something wrong with all of you (laughs) you know um so so began my journey to try to find the answers to a lot of these things. And um, I remember when I was about 11 years old, I was um, reading one of those pamphlets they give you in school about like summer activities and they give you magazines. And there was a magazine called Teen Voices on the back of the magazine. It said, 
do you have questions? And so <laughs> for like, those of you who are yeah, a little older, I mean, like I had lots of questions, <laughs> right? What they meant was send a question or comment to the magazine right. and maybe your question will get posted. But they right. didn't write all that. Yeah. They just asked, do you have questions? And I said, Lord, I got questions. <laughs> so I packed my little bag up and decided that the only way, I didn't know that it was like write a letter to it. Yeah, it said yeah, you yeah. had to go there. Oh so one of the interesting things <laughs> about reading all types of books that people give you beyond encyclopedias, you learn a lot of stuff a lot of people don't know pretty early. Mm -hmm. So I learned something called geographic information systems, which is just <laughs> a shorthand for saying I knew maps. Right, I would draw yeah. maps. I knew a lot about it. So even though I was not allowed out my home, <laughs> by myself as a little girl, I decided to follow this map thing that I had been building for some time. I had been drawing lines and trying to figure out how to get to places. I ended up in downtown Boston. I went under the turnstiles. Oh I don't know if you guys God. remember turnstiles. <laughs> you had to pay for them, there. but yeah, I crawled right there. underneath yeah. them. Ended up in downtown Boston where this magazine was located. And, you know, it was one of those sketchy places down, to, down where there was a door mm -hmm. that was kind of an alley and you oh got up gosh. the steps. Um, <laughs> right. And Any there was a woman waiting there. Don't do that. Do not do that. Right. <laughs> we do not that. advocate you going outside of your house without permission to all the little young aspiring Nancys out right, there. Right, right. Well, I mean, I ended up at this location and, you know, this woman named Brenda was at the door and she's like, you cannot be here, little girl. <laughs> right. And I said, why not? She said, this is a place where, um, and even to order to work here, you have to be at least 14. Hmm. And I said, I am 14, right? <laughs> I don't know if y'all know, an 11-year-old girl looks very different from a 14-year-old girl. Okay. Yeah, I but I agree. was going to hold on to this story. And her next question was, well, how old are you? And uh, also, what's your birthday? If that's the uh -huh. excuse me, no, how old are you? What, what, what's your birthday? And my response was, I don't know my birthday. Because I didn't know my birthday. That was not information that my parents felt was valuable for me to know. It might have been useful for them coming to America to apply for a passport. Yeah. But, you know, there is no special anything. We're all trying to make it together. We grew up poor. And so birthdays, I didn't know. Phone numbers, I didn't know. Addresses, I didn't really know. Because where was I going? Yeah. I was going to be home. <laughs> and that's it. So this woman's now looking at an 11-year-old who I guess most 11-year-olds know a lot of this information. Mm -hmm. I don't even know the difference between dollars and cents, really. Um, and so she puts me in front of a computer and says, you know, she has to figure out what to do with me. And she starts to teach me solitaire. That was my first <laughs> introduction. Now, mind you, I had work that had assignments that you had to submit uh, with a word processor, yeah, like the yeah. early kind of things. We didn't have word processing money, so my parents went to those free markets is that, and mm -hmm. bought a typewriter. And so I did my homework with a typewriter. Um, mm. And you can imagine, we didn't learn about whiteout till a little later. So <laughs> focus, early yeah. focus, you know, because you can't go it's back on those up. things. So yeah. that was like your first exposure to Like computer. a real, like beyond, you know, the old app, Mac, Macs, and this was a Mac too. And here we are learning how to use uh, Play Solitaire. And the first question I asked her was, why is the background green? And her response to me was, that's a ridiculous question, <laughs> right? That's nobody cares. We're just trying to learn this game. And my response to her is like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with all you adults, but you guys really don't ask questions. You just, you don't know if you're being manipulated or anything. You just literally just do what's in front of you. But I did enjoy learning solitaire. Did um, she ever think to explain to you why it might be green? She never thought to do that. But mm -hmm. thank gosh, years later, I now know why it's green. Yeah. Uh, it's called gambling. It's called yeah. <laughs> casinos oh, yeah. and the green on the table, right? Yeah. But, you know, it, it was almost as if she didn't want to push 
thinking about that answer because it was just kind of like, why even think about what usefulness is that? Mm. Right. Uh, but to me, you don't know what's useful. I mean, I'm one of those people who operate with a lot of information mm-hmm. and then I like to distill it and organize it so it can make sense. But I need those pieces of information. I can't do it with missing puzzle pieces. Right. Uh, that and sounds so, to me like you were an early scientist. Right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. So, Nancy, it seems like also you're early scientists. You ask lots and lots of questions, but there's lots of inquiry and like lots of other, you know, majors and things like what made you think about computing first? Like you could have, you know, investigated questions in any domain and any subject. So, like, what was it that stuck out to you about mm-hmm. computers? Well, computer science was, well, I mean, in this particular case, I, it was the only place where people were willing to actually answer questions mm. with me, right? There were people who actually had answers. Like, you know, if I talked to, I was at MIT uh, at a young age, a couple years later from there, a year later, so 11, I mean, they eventually ended up finding a robotics program. My mother also yeah. found me. My mother found my, <laughs> I don't know how she found me because she couldn't read or write like that. Um, and so she you dragged me out. some breadcrumbs. Right. Oh, I probably did. You I probably, probably left, left a goodbye mat. note. Something. <laughs> Something saying, I ain't coming back. <laughs> Here I am playing or, you know, learning solitaire. And I'm getting a pretty good hang of it. And my mother finds me. I, I don't know how she finds <laughs> me. The back of my hairs on my neck stood up and I knew something was wrong my spidey senses <laughs> and she dragged me out that was on a Friday <laughs> right mm-hmm. dragged me out and let me tell you the worst thing a Haitian mother can do when she takes you out of a place is say nothing to you Ooh. I was terrified girl that's she, a universal yeah. <laughs> you're right so you know she took me home look. that's what it is mm-hmm. the look but she, I didn't even get a look. She wasn't even, she just took me home, you know, mm-hmm. too young to be out in these streets. And mm-hmm. we sat down at dinner and I was thinking, okay, here's where she's going to snitch to my father. <laughs> <laughs> this she is said nothing. Right. She said nothing. So she I'm thinking, all right, she just is so angry. She needs a day or something. Yeah. And then she'll decide what punishment I will gain. Saturday goes through. She says nothing to me. My father doesn't even notice. Right, he's carrying on like it's normal, but I'm like on eggshells, <laughs> right, waiting for something bad to happen. Like I'm thinking she's waiting till I have a high moment in my life yeah. before the shoe drops. Um, Sunday comes around, still nothing. That Monday, she dressed me up in the fanciest clothes I had, which was a very poofy pink dress. Dress, mm. yeah. Our style wasn't all that great, but you know, to to me, she was getting me ready for my funeral. <laughs> and so, um, she doesn't say anything. She just puts it on me and takes me back to the magazine she yeah. says from now on this is the place that's going to answer all the questions that you have because i clearly do not have the resources and oh don't tell your father because i was not allowed Aww. to be outside the house so that was the first time like really she decided like this is now dangerous for for me she has the questions and she's willing to go out to find them that's true right so yeah. i'm going to have to mitigate this in some way and so if this means taking her back here every day then that's what i will do Of course, these people are responding, ma'am, this is not a babysitting service. You can't just leave your child here, right? Um, In a short roundabout way, because she was like, you know, five (laughs) o'clock, like she'll come back and get me. You know, I stayed there, and that was the way I learned the word solicit, because I didn't know what they did. Uh, Decided they put me in front of a phone because they didn't know what to do with me, and uh, came back, I want to say, an hour later, and I had sold 10,000 magazines. And they were right. Also, it's again. Like a little kid. This is right. Yeah. They, well, they also were a little terrified because eleven-year-olds can't be working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so That's they wrote bad. my mother a check for two hundred fifty dollars, which I now know is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you know gave her a little commission check and they decided to help me from that point and um they were the ones who found a robotics program for me you know to some place where i could try to get all these curiosities yep. out um but when i finished the session it was a summer of robotics and i was done i said okay well what now it's kind of my similar experience when I think about hackathons. It's like, what what now? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I continue with these resources that I've learned if my mother won't let me break open the fans anymore? <laughs> right? Well, not, not that I was allowed to in the first <laughs> really? place, you right. know? Um, and so they eventually found a space for me. I was 12 at this point, and it was at MIT at the Media Lab and as well the Computer Clubhouse, um, which was at that time located in the Computer Museum. They had decided, you know, you know, this might be the thing that's going to help us get from robotics to the next step. Here I am in the MIT Media Lab mm-hmm. playing around with, they're just Legos, right? And I have a gentleman, Mitchell Resnick, uh, who is actually a very renowned professor uh, at uh, MIT, told me that these were not toys, but really experiments that would maybe one day change the world. And my response was, oh, man, these are these are Legos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Legos. So you had, was that Mindstorms? It was, was like Mindstorms. Was version of Mindstorms? It was the Amazing. first version of Mindstorms. Do you guys remember the little box? Slip? That's what I want to know the whole time. Believe like, me, <laughs> my, my mother signed some documents. It doesn't mean she could read them. <laughs> she signed some things because, All you I'm know. All I'm hearing is <laughs> you were basically the test bed for this product. That's what yeah, it like. I mean, it was it was definitely one of those experiences where where I I would say it was the first time I was around a group of people that did not tell me anything I said was dumb, but they kept encouraging me to explore. I'm sure they They did. were telling me like, "Well, why don't we figure it out?" They you know? some user experience research. And- right. We didn't have those <laughs> words back then, right? right? Exactly. Right. So, I mean, here I am playing with this toy and this is the first time I'm learning how to program. And the goal is to get this vehicle to just move somewhere. Mm-hmm. Did you know you were programming at the time? You just, Or did you just they, think you were playing? I thought I was playing. Uh, they mm. were trying to use words like program and algorithm, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm Let like, yeah, yeah, they're Legos, okay? <laughs> you yeah, yeah, put yeah, it yeah. in the I'm thing. the Legos around. And there's a little <laughs> motor in it, right? And the, the wheels are attached, and you make the thing go. And I remember how frustrated I was because I had... You know, we I didn't quite understand what X's and Y's were, right, mm-hmm. the, as for location. But I knew I, my goal was to get this thing to move forward. Yeah. And so the first time I got it to move forward, it moved two inches, right? And I'm like, Whoa, all right, but this is not where I want it to go. So, you know, I programmed it. Now I know the term to move a little further. So then I said, you know what, let me make a real challenge of myself because I skip all the e- hard stuff and, I mean, sorry, the easy stuff. And, like, I'm going to do something extra. I'm going to make this car park. Now, <laughs> you, you got to understand, that's a hefty Thank goal. When I, the car only moved four inches. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I tried to program it to park itself, the car spun in circles. Ooh. It kept spinning in circles and circles. And I remember I was by myself mad at the whole thing because it would not do what I wanted it to do, and I thought I had figured out, I cracked the code, if I can make it move forward, why can't I make it go where I want to make it, right? And this is the part where I kind of learned on my own that I can play around and do different things and change numbers around to see, okay, that made it go right a little bit. Okay, that made it go left a little bit. Eventually, it took me days, probably Mm -hmm. weeks. Eventually, I got this thing to do the smallest thing, which was to park itself. There was no other cars. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I just needed it to go against the wall somewhere. Right, Right. just get in there somehow, and from there it turned into other things. This program had a program called Computer 
Clubhouse, which was funded by Intel and uh, MIT at the time. And their goal was to give uh, young people from the ages of eight, excuse me, eight to 18 Mm -hmm. um, industry level tech skills to see if this would maybe get them into college. Yeah. Um, I was pretty much the only girl there. Uh, and so my mother was, you know, blessed to have somebody who would answer my questions mm-hmm. and I could hang out in this place. And I was blessed to be in a space where no one made me feel dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I felt dumb at school, even though I knew I knew things. But, you know, they had placed me in special education classes. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how did traditional school work for you? Because it sounds like you were more of a hands on, inquisitive sort of child. But yeah, what was yeah experiential learning like? is new, yeah. right? Yeah, that was not an existent. That was non-existent. <laughs> excuse me. While I was in school, I, so I was just a weirdo in school. You know, the the teachers couldn't understand how I had found some new mathematical way to get to certain answers, and so <laughs> they would flunk me because they said we want you to do it this way. And I'm yep. like, but I'm getting the answer. I'm clearly not cheating. So why can't I do it the way I know best? And so no one could ever explain to me why things were the way they were. And so eventually they decided that there was something wrong with me, right? So, for example, I was calling any woman above a particular age mom. I now know what I was doing back then. I was calling them mom because in my culture, after a certain age, Mm -hmm. you respect elders who are women by calling them mom. Similar, I mean, Americans might call somebody auntie or Africans, West Africans might call somebody auntie. And so here I am trying to show these people respect and they're like, something wrong with this child. (laughs) You know, she thinks everybody her mom, we trying to tell her, but I thought mom (laughs) meant authority, Mm. right? I mean, the way context was really important to me. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to show you respect and you call me crazy so we had these cultural yeah, clashes um you know so when i ended up in special education and they saw that i mean like i was far too advanced for that they just didn't know where to place me so uh, i mean and that eventually. happens to a lot of kids right yeah. like we want to we we tend to stifle creativity and intelligence or things that we don't understand because traditional ways of doing things don't work right right and but it takes more time and energy and effort on their part to give us the opportunities that we need to be successful yeah and you got to think about also the limited resources you have parents who don't speak english you have an inner city school that really is in a very dangerous area where people are getting resources they're strapped for resources you know there are no art programs to teach you how to be creative and Mm -hmm. things like that you know i remember asking my mother if i could do gymnastics and she was like why can't you just tumble in the yard <laughs> why do we gotta pay somebody to have you flip you do it anywhere in the house yeah, <laughs> you know so it, it sounds like you were blessed to have the opportunity to explore those aspects of who you are outside of the classroom which kind of led you to this career that you have now right and of, of course i had no idea you know the other day I was talking with a in a group. I'm always amongst white people. There's always a lot of white mm-hmm. folks around me, and they were, they were the question was asked, "What was your first job?" And people were talking about, you know, being a waitress, and <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I worked in a library or something like that. And I said, I was a tech coordinator, you know. But <laughs> when I was 14, I was a tech coordinator. I had learned enough from 12 to 14 that I had the skills to teach other people Photoshop and you know, 3D design, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, music production. Like I I was literally making beats and thinking I was having fun and managing and trying to teach other kids how to do these things because 
I didn't think it was the. It wasn't work. It right. wasn't work. I would. I mean, clearly, no one was paying me to to do any of these things. But it you know, wasn't work. Right. Actually, the definition of work. But people yeah. that were in the room around me also looked like me, which is interesting. Uh, Randall Pinkett. A lot of you guys know and Nesby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also was on The Apprentice, the first black mm-hmm. man yep. to win The Apprentice. He was in that room. I knew him while he was in uh, grad school. And I remember it's it's funny now because you know he's kind of a big Kahuna. Yeah. And yeah. I remember sitting in on around the table with him, and he's chilling, maybe <laughs> trying to figure out why he's there, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm and sure. me asking him questions on all all he really did was saying, "Girl, just go figure it out. Just go play. It's not gonna break on you. Right. You know, <laughs> just you know. And if it does, it's okay. And so here I am in a space where everyone is encouraging to, me to learn on my own to figure it out. And I'm not really getting that encouragement in the classroom. So this ended up becoming the safest space for me mentally Mm -hmm. to go someplace where they said, if we can't give you the answers, you can learn this. And so I've learned, uh, I tell people this, I learned a long time ago that you don't need to wait for somebody else to feed you. You know, you can literally go out there and figure it out. And so most of what I know today is self-taught. So you'll see Mm -hmm. that I don't have an official computer science degree, right? But I've been teaching computer science since the age of 16. Right. And so it's it's really interesting that um, growing up the way I grew up, I noticed I was odd. Right. <laughs> but I celebrated that oddness because it's kind of like, well, if everyone's strange to me and I'm strange, then we're all strange. we're all just yep. strange. So I might as well <laughs> embrace the fact that this is who I am, this young lady who likes playing around with technology. And people aren't really telling me that I can't do it up until I started heading towards college. So we can talk a little bit about what changed because I there was a reason I didn't pursue a computer science degree. Yeah. And it was literally because of people telling me, well, you can't be a computer scientist. You're a black woman. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Story of all of our lives. Well, um, I will tell you a little bit of the, the transition because the computer science actually ended up being something of a safe space for me. Yeah. Uh, so my parents had a very hard time in the States Mm -hmm. and eventually had to go back to Haiti. And, you know, I'm, I have a lot more opportunity in the States because I'm learning all these things. I'm hanging out at MIT. I'm being invited to all these interesting things. I did not know what an MIT was to be clear. (laughs) did not get it. I just felt like there was this one space with Legos and the rest of it looked like people don't sleep and (laughs) eat well or anything like that. Um, But uh, I ended up in foster care. Uh, so when I was 14, I ended up in foster care. I was in eight different homes up to the age of 18. Very, very depressing experience, um, moving from home to home to home. I I can't even imagine being 14 and not having my parents around at all. And you, you've already said like you had just learned English. Like you'd just finally gotten a grasp of that. You finally kind of had some kind of system, right? Where you had... I'm going to school, I'm going to MIT, I go home, and then everything changes. Yeah. Right. So that was probably one of the most depressing times of my life. And it's this is, you know, middle school is where you start to kind of form and yep. shape who you are. Very right. much your formative right. years. And so here I am doing tech stuff, but also don't have a family around and being thrown into cultures I've never experienced. Like, uh, of some of it families. feels yeah. American, but it's like different things that I don't understand. Like, 
a family that would say, hey, you should, uh, you're not classy if you don't eat with a fork in your left hand. And me telling them, you know, well, the Ethiopians down the street are more rich than us and they eat with their hands. Are you telling me <laughs> that they're classless? And then right. I'd get in trouble, right. <laughs> you know? Are you like, just pointing out differences. I'm, just, like, I'm constantly. Like, I'm just it like I see it. And then there's other things, like in, in Haitian culture, we don't believe in not feeding children. Like to say, if you don't fold a towel a certain way, you can't eat dinner. I'm like, you can't do what? that. Yeah. I mean, this is foster care now. It was a <sighs> weird situation Man. with a lot of lost souls. And unfortunately, when you're in a space where they kind of clump you into the world of your bad too, you start to express it in an outward way. And so... Even though here I am hanging out at you know MIT, the Computer Museum, Museum of Science, there's an exhibit of me still today from 14, you know, in the Museum of Science in Boston, and mm-hmm. me talking about being an engineer and wanting to be an engineer. Um, I'm also going home to the most depressing situations of yeah. kids who are all parentless, all yeah. feeling lost, all depressed, uh, you know. And before that, I was homeless, so I was actually living on the streets before I ended up in foster care. And so if you're telling me, and to me, the streets were safer than being in foster care. Jeez. And so I was a runaway. I was, wow. But I always went to school, and nobody knew while I was in school how depressed I was, except that it was reflected in my grades. Yeah. So I ended up graduating with the third lowest GPA in high school, even wow. though I knew a lot. And literally, teachers Wait, thought... So they let <laughs> you graduate? Like, so we how, can explain yeah. that. What is it? I, I'm trying to do the accent, but barely. <laughs> barely. barely. Right. So, I mean, it was one of those things where people knew that I was purposely failing. I was crying out for attention. Yeah, and, yeah. oh, yeah, it was it was rough, but I needed I something because I didn't have anyone. Can you imagine all the Thanksgivings that you spent by yourself or... You know, because these families would go out to their families and I would not be invited. Like, I can't so, even imagine. Oh, it was hard. I cannot imagine. Yeah. And then even graduating from high school, I remember it, it was probably one of the most depressing experiences when I actually did um, finally make it to graduation because, I, didn't, you know, we weren't sure. But my coaches, I, I rode for six years and I did music programs. These people were fighting for me. And um, there's a point where they asked us all to stand up at graduation and they said, all right, everybody, point to the people that got you here, your family. And I had to take a sit, sit mm. down because no one was there, you know? Um, and the guy next to me, this is really interesting, is I remember the, our names are so close. He had tripped me in seventh grade <laughs> down the steps. And here he was. <laughs> and I bring this up only because he saw me sitting down and sat down next to me and was like, he, it dawned on him how much I had not had anybody to make it this far. I was a bully to an extent. I was the nerd bully, so I, I bullied. Why do you go be nerd bully don't, don't go No, let me explain. I say I was not a bully of nerds, right? But people who bullied nerds around, oh, I would I come to their okay. defense. And so I was, I was in fights. I was, I mean, I remember the last two years of college, uh, I had been jumped by a group of women for in a college? gang initiate. This is high school. In- We're talking about high school. Oh, so. you said, okay. like, sorry, I meant co- Sorry, let me take a step back. I remember the last two years of high school, uh-huh. and um, I had been jumped by a group of women before, um, you know, this is, I jumped, there was a gang initiation, those women ended <laughs> up in jail, in the world? but there was a hole in my forehead, and so I wore a wrap on my head for the last two years of school, which was torture on top of that, I because don't... every time I walked into the school, okay. you know, women weren't People allowed to remember. wrap their head, right? So here you are having to explain every day 
without explaining that the reason you have your head wrapped is because there's a hole in your forehead. And they're saying, we don't care, we don't do this. I'm also experiencing the discrimination that's going on with the Islam community, yeah. right? Because of Valid, this, yeah. right. And I'm right. just trying to like save my you know, face from people asking me questions. And so mm. high school was just rough. And so when I say computer science was my saving grace, that was the only consistent thing in my life. And so yeah. I poured my whole all into learning as much as I could and then teaching others a lot of the things yeah. that I knew. Um, so let's segue. So mm -hmm. you did a lot, got a lot of experience, barely graduate high school. Barely. Right. But <laughs> you have college degrees. Right. Total, <laughs> so how did right? you get the college? So how did that, <laughs> yeah, how did you get there? How did you work that out? You know, the, the one beautiful thing I think about who I am is I'm, really good at sharing stories mm -hmm. and I think that when I finally got to the end of of college I'm sorry of high school um at that point I had decided I was going to sue foster care and I had contacted I was in, under probation they just kind of put you in probation mm -hmm. whether you are you know good or bad and so I had to prove certain things that I wasn't like running around the streets like academic probation or like it was it's hard well it was just kind of like probation in the sense that you had to show up to school every day okay you know yeah, there's like, like different kinds so they just want to make one. sure yeah. there was academic uh and you know i also had to make sure i was coming home and yeah. i was running away regularly so you know i had to stop that so um, within the foster care system you yes yeah uh, it's it's in a probationary weird. period yeah. right but foster care is run by the state right and yeah. so if you are trying to sue a foster care program like or social workers or something like that what you're actually doing is suing the state of Massachusetts right. so I said I'm down I'm suing the <laughs> state of Massachusetts mm -hmm. and so you know I was talking to a prosecutor uh, and he told me Nancy listen Sure, I could help you sue the state of Massachusetts, but I'm going to straight up tell you, I'm not even that great of a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so he said, you know, the best revenge you can do is get your education back up to mm. actually, you know, put yourself in a position where you're doing better than, than some of the people who didn't have a choice but to fall into these careers. Not everybody dreamed about working as a foster care or um, uh, or excuse me, a social worker or mm -hmm. working in the social work space. So he said, if you want to get back at these people, do something with yourself. And so it dawned on me that my years of depression and keeping my grades down, and mind you, I was still learning along the way. I just refused to apply it yeah. mm -hmm. outwardly. So I decided, oh, you know, I have to get my life together. And so my, with the help of my coaches, I, I wrote to a bunch of schools. I didn't want to stay in Massachusetts at the time. I applied to like Purdue and Kansas State. I looked for engineering programs that were predominantly white because I figured they would probably maybe give me a chance because no one was gonna, no <laughs> yeah. one else was gonna we go. We ain't going there. Right. <laughs> trying to play the odds. Right. 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 Mind you, I didn't have the GPA to get in and so my, my essay was really uh, a letter basically saying, please give me a chance. I had a lot of things that have happened in my life, but I'm not dumb. You know, I actually can prove to you with just my resume of work that I've done mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I am fully capable of getting this done, and I'm simply looking for it. The, the whole thing was the premise of being between a key and a home. I said, you know, I've been searching for homes, and I'm really thinking that this place for every school I went to, this could be the, <laughs> the key to finally have a home where I can actually work on getting myself back on track. And so I said... You know, I would I would take a provisional acceptance and 
give me a few weeks to prove myself. And if I do not do what I can do to show you that I'm smart enough to do this, then you can throw me off a of campus. Mm-hmm. Wow. I applied to 21 schools, got accepted to half with this letter. So this is where That's I learned great. the power of storytelling. That's great. Getting yeah. you through the door. Because I knew that they, especially in a lot of these schools that are predominantly white, they probably have never heard a story like mine. Before. I have never heard a story like <laughs> yours, so right. I understand. Yeah, that's it. Definitely is something. I know admissions officers look for something different. Like they get a lot of the same cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. I had this child, and this is how I overcame right. it with my privilege. There was one day that math was hard. <laughs> my mom then, got me a tutor. Yeah, like they don't. She also wrote this essay. You had real challenges. <laughs> Thanks, mom. You know, yeah. that you had to overcome, and you'd overcome them, right? Yeah. Just not in the sense that the masses would agree would be. I success would say that in right. Eyes, so, right? Uh, in the eyes of most of like my. Uh, the social workers I worked with, I was trouble. I was a problem child, and I wasn't going to make it, and everybody made it a point to tell me that I was going to make it. Which is horrible. Exactly. Right, but I always thought to myself that I was the diamond that was being tossed away and that no one had any idea that, you know, you really, really are tossing away somebody who's going to be great one but day. Nancy, what, this is mm-hmm. a recurrent theme with you, so where um, did this come from at such an early age? This, like, hey, you know what? Say what you want to about me. I'll show you. Like, like a self-awareness yeah. that couldn't be it's impacted called, by others. It's called growing up in the hood. <laughs> that's that's what that's called. I just okay. ended up carrying it outside the hood. I can get with that. I can <laughs> get with that. Okay. You know, just confident. I really, I was, you know... I think borderline arrogant because of my anger at so many people who had judged me before they could even know me, mm. right? And sure, I had problems, but I was going through things. And so that outward yeah. expression that people were seeing wasn't me being bad, but me holding on to a lot of anger that I didn't know how to deal with, how to right? Express, yeah. And so it came out in interesting ways, but it didn't necessarily impact some of my little side projects I was doing Mm -hmm. when I was doing music production or when I was, you know, teaching kids how to do, uh, remove the proof off their images and photos. I don't know. (laughs) I say I'm aging myself a little bit. Y'all don't know. They used to put giant stamps, watermarkers. And so I was on Photoshop telling the kids, you can pay me. That's still a thing. Pay me. Oh, yeah. Girl, I can, I was removing them and showing kids how to, to do the, the makeup and skinny waist way before (laughs) we had apps to do these things. Okay. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I knew I had to redeem myself. I knew that it didn't matter what I knew about myself in my head, that I needed to play with the system. And so I got accepted to all these schools, but, you know, didn't have any money. <laughs> right? The the last amount of money, you know, I would save up. Foster care gave you a little bit of money here and there to buy clothes. I would save that money. And um, I actually ended up going to engineering camp which was really interesting because when I got to engineering camp, I met all these kids who were like, my mother made me go here. And I'm like, yeah, my parents too. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want them to know that I actually wanted to be there. I signed myself up and drove myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I found a way to get here. Um, And so I I ended up going to a small school, local college, um, to try to get my grades up because I, I couldn't even afford a flight to leave, even though I got accepted to Tuskegee University, which is wow. where I wanted to go, um, but didn't have the money to even pay for the yeah. classes. Couldn't fill out a FAFSA, didn't understand what it was, and if you don't fill out that FAFSA, That's you basically you can't get, money. You can't yeah. get yeah. financial aid. And so you can imagine when 
I'm two weeks into school and they tell me, hey, Nancy, you have to go. (laughs) You have to leave. You don't have any money. (laughs) So you can't stay here. And so I went back to MIT. I remember you might have heard this story, Kyla, Mm -hmm. about me marching my butt back to MIT. (laughs) And I went to Robin Chapman, who is doing wonderful, wonderful things uh, from Wellesley to Harvard right now. But back then, she was a Ph.D. student, (laughs) black Ph.D. students at the media lab, stressed beyond measure. And here I come in there saying to her, you lied to me, right? You told me to go to college. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me to go. That it costs, like, money to go to this <laughs> thing, right? You got Everyone's talking about, you got to go to college. But no one's talking about, but how are we going to pay for this? Right. And so Robin says to me, Nancy, girl, they got money. And I'm like, well, they, they ain't just handing it out. She's right. like, girl, Who just go that? get it. Right. right. What is that? I took that, mind you, this is, like, still hood context in my mind. <laughs> so when she told me they got money, and that I just need to go get it. I took that <laughs> literally. Right? So I showed back Uh-oh. up in the financial aid office. Uh-oh. I'm like, I know you got money, and I'm not going nowhere till I get this money. Right? <laughs> so for those of you who don't know what happens when you appear to stick up a university, <laughs> they call security. <laughs> so security was called on me, and the truth of the matter is I had no place to go. So, I mean, I had to keep a tough face, even though I was screaming and crying on the inside. I'm like, mm-hmm. you want how are you going to tell me advice that's not true? I mean, Robin technically was telling the truth. She just yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. provide yeah. the, you might want to put some honey in what you're saying <laughs> to right. these people. And so security arrives and they say, all right, ma'am, let's go. And I mean, there's literally no place for me to go. So I'm not moving. You're going to have to drag me out. And the financial aid officer comes over to me and she says, okay, I'll give you $2,000, but you need to get a job. And I thought to myself, I could have looked at the glass half empty. The education cost $26,000, right? But no one had ever given me $2,000 before, <laughs> right. right? So I'm like, oh, shoot, you can make money doing this? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not suggesting to people to stick up schools or anything yeah, like that. I didn't have up. anything. Don't roll up on them. But I will tell you, my ignorance has gotten me very far. You know, the lack of knowledge. I would say that for a lot of people, that's true. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And so, you know, I got four jobs, actually, technically five. You know, I worked at Victoria's Secret. I worked at a dry cleaner. I worked as a tech coordinator for the YWCA. I also worked as a uh, manager for the Computer Clubhouse at this point, where I'm managing tech services, teaching, education curriculum. Um, And then I also had a work-study program where I was – uh, supposed to be in charge of the computer lab. So literally, my life has been consistent with this computer yeah. science world, but I didn't. I wasn't applying towards those programs. In fact, my first degree that I applied to was sociology because I wanted to understand what was wrong with people. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know what is wrong with the society and why do they think the way they do and what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, like what is, what is going on? Um, and I took, at that time, the most credits I could take for a school because now I'm paying for it cash out of my pocket. Mm. I'm sleeping three hours a night, you know, and literally pouring my everything into school. I took 17 classes my first year of college. You are... All the way through summer. 17 classes? Yes. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, there was a few I slept through, but... I still passed. I would just study later and try to figure out how to pass all the exams, you know, and got my grades up, thank God. Got my grades up to a point where I could apply to a different school and potentially get a scholarship, right? And so uh, I had learned that there was free money available. I just Mm -hmm. had to figure out how to get it and that I had learned to an extent in programming my life, if you can tell a good story and you can give them the numbers as far as grades are concerned, 
you might have an opportunity to get your full ride. So my goal at this point was partially, yeah, I'm learning, but it was how do I get this money? You got a full ride. So, yeah, I got a full ride to these other schools because I had my grades up. But turns out, found out, because I applied to some scholarships as well, that um, if you start making money, which was the scholarships and working so hard, then you don't, they pull your scholarship. So my full ride was pulled Mm. by the time I started school. So you started making too much. Too much by their standards, but not enough to pay for school. So I decided that the next best thing was to go back to MIT and ask them to pay for school. (laughs) <laughs> and, of course, they said, no, we don't pay for people to go to other schools. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, who paid for me to learn all this stuff, this computer science stuff and uh, these early ages? As well, you know, partnership with Intel. I'm like, all right, let me get them to pay for my school. <laughs> Not how it works. And I said, I just <laughs> I just need a name <laughs> to one person. Just tell me who to talk and to. I'm going to get to the president and I'm going to ask him to pay for it. And they're like, it's called CEO. and that's not how this worked but we'll give you a name they just gave me any name and i'll tell you uh it's a longer story but i sent a lot of magic to contact a bunch of people until i got to someone (laughs) who said all right what are you we you're sending emails about wanting to sell something in order for us to pay for school what are you trying to sell and i said i want to sell my story right for the low, low price of $100,000, <laughs> you could have this black face on little features and things talking about, hey, I wanted a job. I, um, I wanted to be an engineer, and Intel helped me by covering my education. And the response was, will you take an internship? And I said, wow. hey, I'll take an internship. <laughs> I'll take an internship. Yeah. And so um, was able to finish paying off my undergrad and now had cracked the code to getting scholarships. And so... Here comes entering grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I now at this point through undergrad, um, completed a degree in information systems and completed a degree in sociology. While working at Harvard as a cybersecurity person, I worked at MIT in the uh, urban planning department. I worked at the city of Boston doing research policy and development. Um, Did you sleep? Yes. Doing the most. Worked at MetLife sleep. as an application <laughs> developer. Yeah, I don't really. I okay. I just my goal was to make it up for all the damage. Now? I do sleep. We're She's gonna talk about mental now. health and She's all that good stuff. Over. But it doesn't sound like it based on all the things I do in my life. Mm-hmm. But I have a good time. <laughs> I have a real good time. We like to call it doing the most. Yes. And Nancy is queen of doing the most. I, okay. I, well, you know, summer before uh, starting um, my master's program, I was working at Intel. Uh, doing this internship uh, as a interactive marketing person, okay. uh, which slowly turned into an opportunity within computer science in itself, learning how to really understand the intricacies of user experience versus marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And how to take all this data, data science wasn't around back then, but how to take this data and translate it to something that would actually equal dollars. So can um, you kind of explain user experience for our listeners what is that yeah so user experience is understanding uh the experience of the person you're building for now Mm -hmm. it sounds like something that you should obviously know but a lot of people confuse user experience as art and when it's actually design and design in this sense means problem solving so the thing about art is it's like intrinsically let me share something that i think is great with the world Mm -hmm. right it's very personalized. But design is not about you, right? So mm. when you think about user experience, you are not the user in this case. It's about building for the people who are using this product because guess what? 
when you put a product out, you're not going to be sitting next to them all day trying to explain it to them, <laughs> right? So you need to understand the affordances in design, which is kind of like how do different factors in these elements make people move and do different things, right? right and when cool. you understand that, then you can start saying, okay, I want somebody to be able to turn on the TV without me having to put a manual in a box yeah. explaining to them how to turn it on, right? So it's really about how do we make something that users will have a great experience with in order for us to get more customers. Yep. So, <laughs> you know? so Nancy, you said, you know, you glossed over the whole, oh yeah, so the summer before grad school. But in college, you know, you're making this money, you got your degree. What made you want to go to grad school? Well, the short end was I found out there was money in college. <laughs> <laughs> so you were just so like, I was trying to buy the control. And I'm like, wait, I'm going to max out on this free money thing. Is that what I'm hearing? And it was like I couldn't get a job. Apparently, at this point, I had learned it, how to work yes, full time sure. and go to school. That. So I just wanted to make stacks on stacks on stacks. I had okay. cracked a hold that wasn't like producing music to just making <laughs> money while working and while getting an education. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was just a great financial move. Right. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the recession was coming. <laughs> so it was good for me to stay oh, in right. school. Right. Okay, cool. um, so here we are now kind of doing a lot of things. One of the things I learned about coming in with your own money, because remember my scholarships were ripped from me, was that if you have your own money, you have a lot of power to create a program to your liking. Mm -hmm. And so I had at this point, I've been waitlisted at MIT. I had been accepted to Cornell, UPenn. So it's like now, literally all the top schools that I couldn't get into in high school were easy as pie for mm -hmm. me to get into because my grades were up. I had all the skills and knowledge and experience Right. And I was still young, but nobody could really tell because they were like, what is this nine page <laughs> resume? More importantly, <laughs> you could afford that plane ticket. And I right. sure could. And so while I got accepted, I remember uh, I've made a lot of really interesting decisions in the name of me keeping to my Nancyism self, <laughs> you know. And so Cornell had given me the most money. I think it was ninety six thousand dollars on top wow. of a full ride. And what? Yeah. What? Uh, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Is this counting the tuition? So too? to to mix up the dollars where those dollars came from, I already had scholarships coming in, right? And here we are at Cornell. That's like, oh my God, you're a star. We want you here, and we also have this full ride, and we have cash for you to live off of. And then I get a call from University of Michigan, uh, really uh, an email <laughs> saying, hey. You should consider applying here. And I said, what's the University of Michigan? <laughs> I thought it was a state school as far as I was concerned. And so they said, we'll give you $300 to come down here. And I'm like, well, that's the cost of a flight, but I'll take a free flight. Mm -hmm. Come down to University of Michigan. They had this whole program set for you to walk around and learn about the school. I ended up kicking it with my friends who were there. <laughs> um, and went around, and I will tell you, I mean, I bet Michigan did not know that they were still going to remain cool even if I didn't go to these sessions. Mm -hmm. right. I was a school that was ridiculously intelligent. These kids were so smart, but they were also cool. And I hadn't met really smart people who loved football, could drink a lot, <laughs> like sailors, you know, and had a good time and all that, but remained with high grades. And so mm. I said, you know... While the MITs and the Harvards sound really nice, I really, really like, you know, who I am and my personality. And I felt like as a Caribbean woman who wanted to kind of keep with this creative, uplifted life, that it was a better bet for me to go to Michigan than any of these other schools. Found out 
that it was just another Ivy League, but of uh, of <laughs> yeah. state colleges. In fact, University of Michigan, uh, what attracted me t- to it was that they were top 10 in yeah. every department. So if yeah. I had made a mistake and decided that, okay, I'm going to try this human fact, um, human computer interaction out, and I didn't like it, at least I could run off to sociology or psychology or some mm-hmm. other field. Yeah, some other notarized top 10 field. Right. And then the other <laughs> thing is they had the highest number of alumni in the world, yeah. literally everywhere. I've been to over 70 countries, and we could talk about that later, right? <laughs> been to over 70 countries mostly by myself, and I find a Michigan grad everywhere. Yeah. It's almost like finding like a Nigerian person everywhere because they everywhere too. <laughs> it's true. This one over yes, here. it's true. That's how I, I know can't. I'm in a safe place. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, are the there Nigerians nearby? <laughs> That's cool. You know. So I mean, here I am in school. I, I can identify with that <laughs> as a gator. Yeah. Yes. It's used to large. say the Gator Nation is everywhere. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Oh yeah, they are, yeah. <laughs> and they are very proud. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we are. And so, you know, here I am, um, and just to be clear how I ended up in this field of human-computer interaction, I I knew I was good at this kind of computer science thing. I knew I had a business degree with the information systems degree. I knew I had the sociology background, but I couldn't make sense of how I was going to put them together. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to sit in an office all day sitting behind a screen typing away with no one knowing that I existed. There had to be some way for me to take some of this sociology background that I was interested in and understanding people and coming to, you know, to making career out of it. Yeah. Uh, and so I typed all these words in a Google search and human factors engineering popped up and human computer interaction popped up. No mm. one had told me that these fields existed. And so I decided to take a leap of faith and apply to a master's program in human computer interaction. And here I am now at Michigan and it was probably the greatest decision I made. It Thank goodness for <laughs> the underground railroad that exists in most of these schools yes. for people of color, mm-hmm. right? Literally, I remember when I when I left UPenn, there's a sister over there. I'm sure, Kyla, you know her name. She runs a program that really, literally works on keeping the black grad students feeling comfortable and safe. She's like, listen, yeah. I got snacks for just y'all. <laughs> right. <laughs> right over here. Just come over here. Yeah. If you need a nap, if you need a shoulder to cry on, we got you. And to find out that the MITs, the Harvards, the Cornells, every last one of these schools, I found their underground railroads, right? And so that's what got me through Michigan was not just the fact that here I am learning and, you know, Michigan gave me zero dollars, but I had money coming in. So this is where I mean shocking. I rejected Cornell and all that money to go to Michigan because it just felt right. It's the and community. The community saved me, for real. That's where I met Kyla, who's hey. over here. Yes. Uh, and... <laughs> Other folks who literally we would study and work together and then have a good time together. So, you know, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm Caribbean, so I love my reggae and my dance hall music. And it wasn't really prevalent yeah. there. But, you know, Kyla, I brought it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I brought oh, yeah. it with me. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Ended up being known for my parties out there. So that was yeah. really cool. Yeah, I've heard and not out there like still today but we won't talk about that we won't (laughs) get into that i do think this might be a good place to stop nancy we are going to have to have a second (laughs) episode if you will oblige us well no she's staying (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely as always you can find us on our website modernfigurespodcast.com send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com and follow us on twitter Kyla's at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I'm at Jeremy Waysom. Until next time, drink some water, eat some vegetables, and be extra like guacamole because guacamole adds quality and isn't just extra for no reason. <laughs> <laughs>